Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Continuing our series, Travel Light, today, last week we talked about the first thing that we're unburdening ourselves, and that was letting go of stuff. Today, we're going to talk about the second part, and that is letting go of distractions. Distractions. How many of you find yourself distracted? Not only at Christmas, but I think this applies to any time of the year. I think it's safe to say that our society deals with more distractions than any previous society in history. Most of us feel like we're constantly being pulled in all kinds of different directions, and I think there's many reasons for this. One of those in particular is because we have more technology today that distracts us than any other time before. I know, Pastor, you're going to harp on technology. Yeah, I think we've been assaulted with distraction that is right in the palm of our hand. Tony Ranke uh, uh, wrote in a very interesting book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. How many think that's a good book to read, right? Somebody needs that in their stocking. He, he wrote this. He says, the average person checks their phone 81,500 times each year or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. This means that there are many of you that will check your phone about nine times before this sermon is even done. <laughs> Some of you have already checked it nine times before this sermon even began. <laughs> Oh, technology is one of the most distracting things that we experience. In fact, we're conditioned to distraction today. And it's harming our ability to be able to listen, to be able to think carefully, to be able to be still, to be able to pray, to be able to meditate. The problem is, is that this distraction does not help us with a well-balanced, happy life, productive life. The word distraction has an interesting origin, and uh, we're going to put a picture up in just a moment because it comes from a French term from a very cruel form of torture. This medieval French torture, can you see it up here? Yeah, was set aside for the very worst offenders. In fact, in medieval times, it was so barbaric that they would call this drawing and quartering. So they would take the offender and all four limbs, they would attach to a quarter horse, So your legs would be attached and your arms and they'd be in all four ways and then they would say, go, and you would be distracted, dismembered, right? How many of you remember that one? That's kind of gross, isn't it? Distraction kills the best of us, friends. It pulls us in different directions. It sabotages our creativity. It leaves us uh, feeling very shallow and discontent. It literally means to be pulled apart. That's what the word distraction means. It literally means to be pulled apart. Many of us are dying a death by distraction. And the truth is, distraction kills joy and distraction kills relationships. In fact, one counselor said that distraction destroys more relationships than just about anything else in our world today. Destroys relationships. I think that 
that some of us have found that to be true. Why? Because distraction makes intimacy impossible because in order for you to feel a place of intimacy or closeness, it means that whether it's a spouse, a child, a good friend, it means that they have to believe that you consider that you're a priority in their life, number one. Number two, that you have plenty of unrushed time available for them, unrushed time. And thirdly, that you're giving your undivided attention. And how many know that with these devices or other types of things that we have in our world today, there is all kinds of ways in which we are distracted and it is keeping us from giving those that we love a priority in our life and the attention that they deserve. And we wonder why our relationships, why our joy, and why our lives are so pulled apart and stressed. It's distraction. It keeps our relationships shallow, including our relationship with the Lord. Many relationships, including our relationship with the Lord, suffer because we don't focus on them. And phones are just one example of these things. I've mentioned it before, but at family dinners, how many have been out to a restaurant and rather than people spending time together, everybody is distracted by what's in front of them on their phone or what's up on the TV because we can't even have restaurants without TVs a lot of times. It's easy to get distracted by those things. In fact, uh, it's easy to get distracted and, and to have a, a dinner and it's tough to find intimacy when everybody's too busy checking their email and checking that text or checking that post or that message or, message or whatever it is that comes and the notification and the ding. Not only is it in our phones, but it's on our wrists. Let me just look down. Let me just check that. And in that moment, we take our attention away from those that we love and it's hurting before, it used to be things like the newspaper. We'd be talking, and are you paying attention to me? Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Or the television. Oftentimes, we suffer, and marriages suffer distraction from these devices and other forms of entertainment that have our attention more than the people that truly matter. Studies show that distraction makes us ineffective. Greg McEwen wrote a book called Essentialism in which he explains the new cool word for distraction is actually called multitasking. How many of you love that word multitasking? Right? I'm just multitasking, right? We, we, we think it means all kinds of things. We think it means that I am the top of being the most productive that I can be if I am a multitasker. But do you know the origin of this word really began in 1965 by IBM to describe how their computer could do multiple things at once? The problem is that our minds are not a computer. Yes, they do a lot of things, but really, to be honest with you, they don't wire exactly like a computer. And consciousness is pretty much designed to be in one place at one time uh, without switching back and forth because that takes up time and energy. An example, here's an example. Some of you think, Pastor, you're being crazy. I'm the best multitasker there is. I am so productive. My husband, he's not a multitasker, but I'm a multitasker. And I'm getting a lot done, and I'm doing it. But let me just give you an example, all right? A person, the average person sitting at their desk checks their email every five minutes in the midst of whatever, every, whatever else they're doing. The problem is it takes about an average of 64 seconds to resume the previous task after you finish, which means that because of email alone, we typically waste one out of every six minutes. McEwen says, so when I hear people say they're multitasking, all I hear is my attention is scattered, I feel stressed out, and I don't do anything else. So here's the bottom line. If we're going to live productive spiritual lives, we have to learn how to deal with distraction. 
There's a story found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. There's a family, and just like a Christmas time where you get family together and friends together and you gather them over for a party, there was a party that was going on, and this family that included two sisters and a brother invited Jesus to come over for dinner and his disciples, and they decided they were going to have a party together. And it's one of the few passages in Scripture where the word distraction is actually used. It says this, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. You'll know who we're talking about, and some of you go, oh boy, here we go. We're going to talk about this again. Yes, we are. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Some of you feel that way about your sister-in-law. I'm just kidding. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care, right? And here it is. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. There's that word better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, to be clear, what Martha was doing was not bad, was it? We all care. There's hospitality. You invite somebody over to your home, there's hospitality. But specifically, the warning came because she was being distracted by the very guest that she had invited into her home, Jesus Christ. She had been distracted because knowing Jesus is more important than anything else, isn't it? And I think there's some important principles about distraction that apply to our lives and that we can learn from this passage that might help us not only this Christmas, but might help us throughout the year. So I want to take a look at some principles concerning distraction. The first one, and I want to clarify, is this. Distraction is not the same as divine interruption. Divine interruption. Distraction is not the same. How many of you know that Jesus was probably one of the most focused people there was on his mission, wasn't he? He was focused. Jesus was not allowing himself to get distracted by much. In fact, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has been ministering, and he's in the house, and he's ministering there in a the house, and his family comes, and they come outside, and they're wanting to get to him. They're wanting to talk with him. They're wanting to get to him, and some people come in, and they say, Jesus, your family's all outside. They wanted to, they, they're, they're all outside. They're waiting to get to you, and he, he, he puts the brakes on that. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He would not be distracted, even by his family, by the mission and the ministry that was at hand. In John chapter 4, Jesus stops at a well. He sends his disciples to go and get food at a local village. Happened to be a Samaritan village, and he was interrupted by a woman who was not of the best reputation. Yet not even hunger that Jesus had, and he was, he was fully human. That's part of the Christmas story is that Jesus came and he was fully human. He experienced things that we do. He experienced hunger, and he was hungry, yet he would not even allow hunger to distract him from being focused on God's plan and pursuing this woman who needed to be ministered to. On the other hand, though, in John chapter 5, we see that Jesus freely allows his Sabbath to be interrupted by a man who needs healing. Now you have to understand that Jewish people in that day saw that the Sabbath was holy, that you don't do any work on the Sabbath, and because Jesus was in the ministry, because he did ministry, any type of ministry that would be done on that day on the Sabbath was considered to be a violation of the Sabbath. 
But Jesus explains his openness to being distracted in John chapter 5 and verse 17 by saying this, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. What does that mean? That means that there are times that distractions are, are not the same as divine interruptions. There are times when there is a divine interruption in the midst of your day. The Lord invites you to pause from your day, to be interrupted from what you're doing, to be able to be a part of what he's doing. And that's how Jesus lived his whole life. He was focused on what he was doing, and yet when he perceived that his father was in the midst of something, that there was an opportunity for ministry, an opportunity to meet a need, an opportunity for healing to take place, Jesus recognized the divine interruption and was willing to allow himself to be divinely interrupted in order that he might receive the invitation, accept the invitation to what the father was doing. In fact, in a book uh, called Hearing God by Henry Blackaby, he says that some people can be so disoriented to God that when he brings work around them, they actually become quite annoyed at the interruption. Some of the, the best moments in our life are unplanned. Some of the best moments in our life are divine interruptions. In fact, I would venture to say that many of you, when it came to coming to Christ and salvation, it was not in a planned moment, but rather a divine interruption when somebody came in the midst of your need, in the midst of your pain, and all of a sudden you were introduced to Jesus Christ. So I want us, when we're talking about distraction, the first principle that I want us to get and that I want us to understand is not to be so busy and so distracted around the holidays, around Christmas time, that we forget to be divinely interrupted in those divinely interruption moments where Jesus wants to use us this Christmas to share about him. In fact, I find the best parenting moments are rarely at scheduled times. Oftentimes, if you're paying attention, you'll recognize an opportunity to be able to speak into your children's life. The best witnessing opportunities don't happen on my schedule. They happen when, I am, when I'm out and about. And if I'm not careful, I can be distracted and miss an opportunity to be able to share Christ. In fact, the people that I love truly need something from me or truly have a crisis, not when it's planned. It's not like, okay, all right, at 2.30, there's going to be a crisis right now. At 2.30, somebody's going to come in screaming and something's going to happen and something, you know, and they're going to need my attention. So, all right, okay, all right, it's 2.30, come on now, right? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. We need to be aware that sometimes what we perceive as distractions are really divine interruptions. In fact, J.D. Greer said this, a healthy Christian life is one in which you learn to avoid unhealthy distractions so you can be open to divine interruptions. Now let's get back to our story for a moment, all right? Because disguising between good and bad distractions is something, distinguishing, excuse me, between good and bad distractions is something that is worth the battle for our entire lives. And if Satan can't get you to sin, he's going to distract you from what is best. All right, so number two is this. Distraction is often the good keeping you from the essential. Distraction is often the good keeping you from the essential. So in our story, what is Martha doing? Martha was, was helping to serve. She was getting the meal ready. She had prepared the home. She was getting everything ready for her guests and for Jesus. It was not a bad thing. This was not a bad thing to do. This was not a sinful thing to do. However, what she was missing was what was essential. Even though she was using her spiritual gift of hospitality, she got so caught up in the hospitality that she missed who it was for and who had come into her home. 
And Jesus' gentle rebuke had, had let her know that the many good things were keeping her from the one essential thing. We need to recognize that so often the most difficult choices aren't between good and bad, but between good and best. Our enemy, if he can't make you bad, he'll distract you from using your life for the things that honor God and make an eternal difference. And that's what a distraction is. A distraction is a foolish trade. Imagine if you ask Martha the next day, okay, Martha, I heard Jesus was with you yesterday. What was it like? What did he have to say? What, what kinds of things happened? Oh, you know, it was really nice that he came over, but I don't know. I was in the back the whole time, and, and, and I, was, I was making the meal, and I was cleaning up, and I was doing, and, and you know what? I never really got out there to even see him. But if you asked Mary, she would have said, oh, man, let me tell you. Jesus said this. Jesus said that. Man, when he, when, he, when he just was right, I mean, there was just something that just really impacted. My life is never the same since Jesus came into my house. What Jesus was teaching Martha about distraction was that Mary, and Mary was taken advantage of and said, this will not be, the good will not be taken away from her. That Martha was missing out on what was better. This is how distraction works, isn't it? You trade one thing, that you only get one shot out from a bunch of other things. You only get one shot at it, and you, you trade it for a bunch of other things that in the scheme of life aren't really that important. Isn't that how distraction works? I, I realize there are some things we're not fully in control of. There are things we don't get a choice on. Sometimes your employer demands that you work at certain days or you work certain overtime or you don't have a job. I realize there are certain things that come up that you don't have control over. But at the same time, friends, I think that many of us, like Martha, are missing out on some of the essential and the better things because we're settling for too many good things. We're distracted by too many lesser things. We get ourselves caught up in a lot of things that in the long term won't matter. Sometimes we miss out on moments that are important when our kids are small. They're small and they're getting these moments and they're having these things and it's an opportunity for us to be there. And before we know it, all of a sudden they're 18 and they're graduating and they're out of the house and we never get those moments back. You never get those moments back. Earlier this year, as we were, earlier this season, as we put up our Christmas tree, we have ornaments, and, and the ornaments we usually buy throughout the year for various things, to remind us of various things that happen. So this past year, we went to Honduras, and we, we got a little ornament that has Honduras, and there are just different moments. So throughout, as our kids have grown up, we've done this, and so it's neat as we're putting things on the tree, we're remembering those moments together, those important things together, reminiscing about those things, and I got to thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to give my son money for this because I'm using him in an illustration. But I thought, oh, my goodness, he's, he is a junior. He is, he's halfway through his junior year. And in a year and a half, he's going to be at college. And before we know it, then Olivia is going to graduate. And it will just be Jamie and I putting these ornaments on the tree. I, I, I mean, I love my wife, and that's great. But we only have so many more of these moments. What are the moments that are most important? Who are the people that are most important? All of the tasks and all of the things, do they need to get done? Yes, but some of them probably not, or maybe not the way or with as much importance as we place on it, because sometimes we are trading. We are trading the, the, the good for the essential. How many moments do you miss because you're too busy posting them on Facebook? 
getting distracted because it won't upload and you can't get it or how do I get just the correct hashtag or just the correct this and how much likes did I get on this and did I phrase it just right and everybody like my Christmas tree and, and how many other moments are we missing with the people in fact Tony Ranke points out the irony of our phone and I keep harping on this but it keeps us isolated from the people when we're with them and distracted by the people we should be isolated from Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's what Ecclesiastes 9.10 says. In fact, in Jesus' parable of the, of the sower, the parable is he scattered seed. And what, what kept the seed from taking root in one of those soils was what he called the worries and cares of this life. How much of the seed that God is sowing into your life is distracted by the worries and cares of this life? C.S. Lewis said, it's not bad and unbelieving thoughts, just ones that you keep you from considering what is important. So let me encourage you to guard against Satan's tactic of dis distracting you from the best and settling for what is good. Thirdly, distraction enslaves an insecure heart. An insecure heart. Now, Martha's busyness appears to be driven by need. In fact, she probably doesn't even recognize something about herself. But Jesus says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. The word worry is similar to the word distraction. It means to be torn in pieces by many in, in many directions. And the word upset, you are worried and upset, the word upset means to be tossed along like a capsized boat with no anchor. Jesus diagnosed that there was something inside of Martha where she was dealing with something that was unhappy, unsettled, and unanchored soul. She probably was the kind of person who felt significant only when she felt needed. Her significance was tied to her ability to be able to do things in a way that people said, wow, Martha, what would we ever do without you? Right? What would we ever do without you? Oh, Martha, the meal's so wonderful. Oh, Martha, the decorations are so amazing. I don't know how you had time to do all of this. She felt like her life only mattered when others recognized all she did. She found herself worried about getting every detail right for Jesus and his guests. And that worry about every detail caused an unanchored soul that built resentment up towards her sister. In fact, she called it out and would bring it to Jesus' attention. And by doing so, she thought that maybe it would reinforce, maybe the, uh, subconsciously, it would reinforce the, the, the recognition that what she was doing important. Jesus... Mary's just sitting there. I'm doing all the work. Would you tell her to help me? Maybe she thought that, that she would gain some kind of a significance or, or that Jesus would say, oh, wow, Martha, you know what? Yeah, you are working so hard. You need help. Mary, what are you doing just sitting here? Mary, get up and help. Get up and help your sister. Come on, get up and help your sister. But Jesus didn't do that because he recognized that there was resentment that was being built up and he recognized that Martha was missing out on something because of an insecure heart. He wanted her to recognize that she was loved by him not because of the way that she served, not because of the meal he, that she was going to provide or the house or the decorations or all of that, but she was loved simply because he wanted to come to her house and be with her. She was loved besides all of that.
that all of that wasn't what made her significant to Jesus Christ. After all, if she would have recognized his presence and learned to trust him, she would have remembered that he fed 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish. Right? I can do that. If I can do that, Martha, we'll, we'll take care of the meal. Don't worry. Martha needed to find her security through fellowship with Jesus and learn to trust him with every detail of her life so that she could walk and be a little less hurried and a little less stressed. In fact, she accuses Jesus of not caring. She actually tells him what to do. Anybody ever told the Lord what to do? Lord, you don't care about my, that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself. Tell her to help me. Lord, you don't care. Anybody ever said that before? But Lord, there's so much to do and so much going on and I'm so stressed and you don't care. You don't care. Oh, Jesus cares. He just might not find what you think is so essential that essential. Perhaps he's trying to teach you something. To find your security through your fellowship with him. Thirdly, distraction entice, or fourthly, distraction entices an empty heart. Distraction entices an empty heart. Because Jesus was not in the right place in Martha's heart, her soul craved significance that came from serving. And when our soul is out of fellowship with Jesus, we're always craving more, which is why it's on the radar for our next enticement. Again, I want to use our phones again as an example. I'm using that all over the place because that's probably our society's biggest distraction are those things that are in the palm of your hand. Scientists have many reasons why we get so attached to our phones, why we get so attached to social media, and it's because of a chemical called dopamine that gets released. Dopamine is the same substance that causes you to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or shopping or anything else. Ironically, dopamine is actually heightened when the hits are smaller and they create what's called a dopamine look loop. And as with other addictions, we feel a need increasingly for that same high. And that might be why studies show that 33% of people check their phones in the middle of the night. They check their phones when they're bored. They check their phones the first thing that they wake up in the morning. The first thing instinctively is to reach for your phone, to pull it up, and to see how many likes did I get? Who posted what? Did they, did, what did they do yesterday that I didn't do? Where did they go? What did they have? Did I have that? Did they like me? Did they like my picture? Did they like my 100 selfie that I had to post this year? My 352 selfies that I posted this year? Or more, because multiple times a day? <laughs> what, 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 uh, why? Why do we do that? Why do we instinctively have our reaction for our next post, our next tweet, our next picture? Martha should have been so full of intimacy with Jesus that she didn't need to fill her heart with serving or be recognized for her accomplishment. Instead, she could have received something greater from his presence. And to answer Martha's problem was to get close enough to Jesus to sense his warmth and to know his love and to know what he wanted. Martha was not close enough to Jesus to sense this because she was distracted by lesser things. Consider Mary for a minute. There she is sitting at Jesus' feet. Do you know what the, what the picture of sitting at somebody's feet was in Scripture? If you sat at somebody's feet, particularly a teacher, particularly somebody who was important, what it, what it meant was, if you were to get down, it meant that you were under their authority. It means that you were both focused and submissive. Now let me give you an answer to distraction. Distraction 
when you, an answer to feeling distracted is to get focused and to be submissive. You can't just come and sit for the occasional sermon and, and, and think that that's listening at Jesus' feet. You, that's not listening. It's devoted personal time. It's paying attention to Jesus. And the problems of busyness will dissolve when you and I learn to prioritize and learn to fill our hearts with Jesus and with his presence. When we allow him to, to calm the burdens and the worries and all of those things that crowd our minds, all of those things that, that get on our to-do list that we just have to do, if we'll just pause and spend some time with the Lord, then he will help us with those things. To know what is most important and what can we just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't need to be done. Martin Luther used to say, that on his busiest days, he had to get up even earlier to spend more time with God so he could walk through the busyness without letting it destroy him. Number five, direction, or excuse me, distraction rules an unprioritized heart. An unprioritized heart. The necessary component to being focused on what you need to be focused on is saying no to other good things. It's learning to say no. Martha needed the ability to say no to legitimately good things so that she could say yes to the best things. In his book, Principle of the Path, author and pastor Andy Stanley shares a wonderful truth. How many of you know when you were younger, you used to hear a phrase over and over again. You'd hear it from teachers and parents. They'd say, pay attention. Pay attention. Right? If you were in school and, 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 you know, there were things going on, somebody was whispering, somebody was passing a note, or there was, you know, a little bit of chatter going on, the teacher would say, hey, pay attention. And everybody would sit up straight, right, and pay attention. You know, if you were messing around at home, uh, I had two brothers, and we used to mess around and, and, and wrestle all the time, and my grandmother would come in the room, pay attention. There's something interesting about paying attention. You see, because pay implies cost, doesn't it? It's interesting to me that these words are put together, pay and attention. Why would pay and attention be put together? What, what is it about attention and pay? Well, pay implies cost, and pay implies giving away something of value that is loss. As you pay, you give your money to whatever you're going to buy. You think it's a value, but you're actually losing your money in order to gain something else. That's what it means by pay. And in this sense, the loss that keeps us from paying attention to the things that deserve our attention that might serve us best in the future. So the reason you don't pay attention to your health is because doing so might cost you something. You might be forced to give up something that you enjoy, that really good juicy cheeseburger, right? Or that wonderful dessert or those extra plate of Christmas cookies, the reason your neighbor isn't paying attention to his children is because he feels like a payment. He'd be forced to give up something else that he's doing, something else that has captured his attention. And the cost of associating with paying attention to the right things makes it difficult to do because you're paying, you're giving something up. When we pay for something, we expect to receive something of equal or greater value in return. And really, that's what happens when we pay attention to the right things, when we're focused on the right things. Those of you that have graduated from high school understand if you got through it, there's a lot of distractions that can happen in high school. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Even more that can happen in college. But when you pay attention to those right things, you walk across that stage and you get a diploma. 
And that diploma says that in exchange for your attention, you got something that's going to benefit you in the future. You earned something, a benefit, something that was more important than what would, than what would have distracted you, distracted you from it. Once in high school, and it's in the rearview mirror, college in the rearview mirror, you don't have those voices saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. The battle for our attention becomes very severe. The most important battle is to monitor because it's a battle for our future because where our attention goes, so goes your lives. I want to talk about the capture versus pay dynamic, all right, because we pay attention, but how many know there are things that can capture our attention? Pay attention, why? Because there are things that have captured our attention. And there's a tension that we're forced to deal with on several fronts. We, we encounter it relationally, financially, professionally, spiritually. In every area of our life, there's a demand for our attention. And what you choose to pay attention to is really important as opposed to just allowing certain things to capture your attention. And if we're honest, the cost of disentangling ourselves from unhealthy relationships and activities oftentimes sees, seems too high of a price to pay. At the same time, the benefits associated with paying attention to the right things, even though they seem so distant and don't wet our appetite, can actually be the very things that will lead us in the right direction. And this tension is something that is just central to the human experience and should come in no surprise that it's also talked about within the Bible. And what may astound you is the frequency of it. About one out of one of the more than three dozen authors of the Old and New Testament allude or speak directly about this principle. Over and over again, God reminds us of the things that we are to harness and pay attention to because that attention directs our lives. What captures our attention will determine our destination. How many of David understood this? David understood this principle. In fact, he, he began to say we need to guard against the things that can capture our attention. Listen to this request he made in Psalm 119.35. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Then skipping to verse 37, he says this. Listen, turn my eyes. Turn my eyes away from what? Worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Turn my eyes. Do you know that eyes is a metaphor for one's attention? God, please turn my eyes away from worthless things. David recognized that there were a lot of worthless things that can capture your attention. Absolutely, one day when he was on top of a roof, he allowed something to capture his attention that wrecked his life. When his attention and focus should have been on going to war with his people and being out where he was, instead he allowed himself to be distracted and his attention to be caught on something else that changed the direction of his life, that impacted his life. It is important to understand and to ask, Lord, what are the worthless things that keeps capturing my attention? Turn my eyes and draw them away from worthless things. The last part of verse 37 says, preserve my life according to your word. In other words, I don't want to end up at some stage in my life and think, how in the world did I get here? How did I end up here? I didn't plan on that. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. But the problem is, is that rather than paying attention and staying focused, our detention got distracted and we got caught up in the wrong things. Why? When our heart is unprioritized, distractions can lead us down paths we never intended to go. Our attention can be captured and drawn away towards worthless things. 
So how do we, what's the answer? How do we overcome distraction? Paying attention to those things that God prioritizes, spending time in his presence. Jesus gives us one more piece of wisdom. Matthew chapter 6, 22 and 23 says this, the eye, again eyes, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now in Bible times, they didn't have electricity like we enjoy today. They, they carried lamps everywhere they walked. Uh, uh, you know, camping lamps. You know, uh, they didn't use a Coleman lantern or anything like that. <laughs> that wasn't the drill. But you had a lantern that, that was in front of you, usually lit, and you usually put it on a stick because the longer the stick, the more out in front, the more you can see in the dark. Again, there weren't street lights, there weren't those kind of things. And if it wasn't, you know, a, a bright moonlit night, it was pretty dark. And so they, they had to have these lanterns that they would stick out in front of them. And, and, and the, again, the farther in front, the, the more you could see. And there's this sense in which the light leads the way. So Jesus is saying this, your eye, what you see, what you gaze, what you pay attention to is like the lantern of your life. It leads your way. As your body follows the light in the dark, so your life follows whatever your eye focuses on. Take another look at the second part of this verse. If your eyes are good, the Greek word translated good means wholesome, pure, and healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. Your whole body. You may know the term light in the New Testament. What does that mean? That means focused on the good things, led in the good direction. That's what Jesus uses this term to denote something good or divine. What's he say? I am the light of the world. He says you're to be the light of the world. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The idea of light is about what is whole, what is good, what is wholesome. It's about the good direction. And so he says, listen, you need to pay attention to the good things because where your eyes are at, what you focus on, what you choose to fix on, that is going to be what ends up directing you. But the second half of the equation is also there. And that is, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So as your eyes focus, so goes your life. You focus on the, on the wholesome things, the good things, the things that, that, are, that are there in Scripture. We pay attention to the, those things. And then our path where we follow is going in a good direction. But if you allow your focus or your attention to be captured on things that are not good, then you will lead your life in a place that is not good, a place you do not want to go. Attention establishes direction which determines destination. Whatever or whoever, sometimes it's a whoever, whatever or whoever has captured your attention at this very moment is influencing the direction of your life for good or for not so good. Whatever or whoever you've chosen to fix your attention or let capture your attention is influencing the direction of your life. How many have ever found that sometimes the direction of your life has been impacted by a whoever? It's very critical. Scripture talks about the relationships in our lives. So have you been struggling with distractions that are holding you back? from experiencing the joy and peace that God desires for you to have, not only this Christmas, with all its hustle and bustle, but also throughout life. 
you know, this Christmas is supposed to be about Jesus. But sometimes we get distracted by the decorations, by the parties, by the activities, by the gifts, uh, finding just the right thing. You know, we get distracted by, by all the planning and all of, all of that. And who do I have to be with? And oh my goodness, do I have to see them? And are they going to be there? And oh, what does that mean? We can find ourselves getting so caught up in all of that that we forget that Christmas is really about Jesus. It's really about the fact that we were separated from God by our sin. And that rather than just stay up in heaven and, and stay in the glory of God and stay with this heavenly father, that Jesus said, you know what? <laughs> God so said to his son, listen, I want you to go. You know, and, and, and how you're going to go is not in pomp and circumstance where everybody knows it. No, no, you're going to be born. You're going to be born to a young couple. They're poor. They don't really have a whole lot. But I'm going to direct everything, and, and you're going to be born, and they're going to take care of you. And you, God, are going to give up all of your deity and all of those godly qualities and everything that you have, and you're going to allow yourself to be cared for by the very creation that you were a part of back in Genesis chapter 1. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could give up that kind of control. And why did he do it? And not only that, but... The ones you come to love and the ones you, you come to give yourself for, they're going to at one point yell, crucify him. They're going to put a crown of thorns on your head. They're going to whip you. They're going to beat you. They're going to spit at you. They're going to curse you. They're going to put, they're going to put nails through your hands and nails through your feet. And Jesus says, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes so that I can make sure that they can be back in relationship with you. I will be the bridge. That's what Christmas is all about. It's more than just about a little baby who came, but it really is the full story of what he came to do. And that is that he is Jesus. He is Savior. He has come to save his people from their sin. Let us not go, get so distracted that like Martha, we're so busy with all the preparations that we forget to spend some time sitting at his feet and experiencing the love and the salvation that he came to bring. What are you paying attention to? What has captured your attention? What do you need to reprioritize in your life might not be bad, it might be good, but what's the good that is replacing the essential? And maybe it's not just your relationship with Christ, but maybe you're missing out on important times that you have that you never get back with the very ones that God has given you to love. And what about those moments that are divine interruptions? Are you ready this Christmas for the divine interruptions that God may bring into your life so that someone else might come to know, you, know him? Pay attention, because you might be captured by worthless things. As your attention goes, so goes your life. For Jesus said, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. What's distracting you? What's distracting you? Let's bow our heads today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this Christmas... Jesus came and he gave his life. And maybe you're here and you've been 
You've been allowing yourself to get distracted by other things because there's no peace in your heart. You don't really know Christ. Maybe you've been distracted and you've walked away from the Lord. And today you say, you know what, I, I, I need to get back with Jesus. Maybe for the first time I need to give my life to Christ. I need him to forgive me of my sin. I, wanna, I want a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's you today. You want a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you have walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've gotten distracted. Something else has captured your attention. And you say, I need to repent. I need to come back to Jesus today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Secondly, you're here today and you say, you know, there are some things that are really causing distraction in my life. I know there are some things that I've got to reprioritize, some things I've got to, I've got to shift, some things I've got to change. And you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? There's some things I've got to, I've got to begin to, to get right. There's some things I've got, to, I've got to reprioritize. If you want prayer today, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray with you as well today. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, come on, let's pray together today. And if you want to receive Christ or come back to him today, will you just ask the Lord today as I pray to come into your life? Will you ask him for his forgiveness today? And will you ask him to be your Lord today? Come on, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you today for your love, for your mercy, and for the gift of salvation that you gave to us. Today we ask you to reprioritize our hearts. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for the times we've gotten distracted, for those times that we've sinned against you. We ask you, Lord, to reprioritize our heart around those things that you want most for us. We thank you so much. This Christmas, we want it to be about what you desire and about your will. We want your relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand today. Yeah, hallelujah. Let's stand today. And I know that many of these things, sometimes these things can be a, something that can capture us, something that can can really hold us captive. Today you might need to be set free of some things or maybe you need prayer today. Maybe what's distracting you is an illness. Maybe it's a, a, something that, that a diagnosis that has come or maybe you've got a problem or a situation. Maybe it's with work. Maybe it's with something else today and you just would like prayer today. You just need someone else to help you today to pray with you, to come alongside of you. Our team or altar team is going to be here or maybe you just want to respond to the Lord today. As we sing this last song to close, will you just come? Will you allow us to pray with you today or will you come and just pray and say, Lord, set me free. Set me free. I'm no longer a slave to those things, but I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.